0: Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's.
1: Blue 58! Check
0: New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts, right here. Let's play! Gee, money! Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. There's two weeks to go. The NFL regular season is down to just a pair of games, and there's no sugarcoating it now. It's it's go time. It's do or die. It's now or never. Whatever you want to say, it all applies. The final pair of games here in 2023 as the Colts are eight and seven, following their 29 to 10 loss to the Falcons, and the Horseshoes, one of four eight and seven teams fighting for a wild card spot at the moment in the AFC. And up next, the 7-8 and eight Las Vegas Raiders, who have won two in a row, and they're playing their best football of the season coming into Lucas Oil Stadium. Hi, everybody. Welcome inside Inside Football. I'm Matt Taylor, but you came for the man, the myth, the legend. Rick Venturi is back and his nearly 30 years of coaching experience in the NFL. And, Rick, we're about four days away from game day. In some ways, you can already feel the energy for how big, uh, in terms of the magnitude, these last two games are for the Colts.
1: Yeah, there there isn't any question about it. You know, despite anything that has happened, yeah. You know, in two of the last three weeks, I mean, we're still very much in control of our destiny. Um, you know, not to get into it too much because I really don't want to be scoreboard watching. Uh, I just don't think we should be doing that. Just just be center focused on the silver and black, but. You know, basically, it just looks like Jacksonville's dead in the water, Matt. It really does. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody else has a tough game this week. Uh, So, again, it goes back, and you always say it, it's just got to take care of business. You know, I've always said the NFL is a season of one-game seasons. Yeah. And, you know, you lose sight of it, (laughs) Uh, you know, sometimes after a great win. And this is what I'm hoping, you know, when we get into the Raiders, But I think you know, after the great win at Pittsburgh, we probably took a little bit of a deep breath. And it doesn't take much. I mean, if the intensity level, you know, wavers just an inch in this league, it can be all the difference in the world. It's not like you're totally flat, but if you just aren't at a razor edge and the other team is, you know, that can be the difference. So, no, you're exactly right. I mean, there's no 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 reason to sugarcoat it. Now, it's it's Mm -hmm. there. It's it's a win, and you live, lose, you know, and you die. And <laughs> to say it's a must game would be the biggest, you know, understatement right. of right. the week.
0: Yeah, a lot riding on these last two games. <laughs> and you can't worry about the Texans game before the Raiders. Like you said, no, you got to take care no. of business, be solely focused on Week 17 before you get to Week 18. Um, so before we do all of that, let's uh, look back quickly here as, again, the Colts had – uh, arguably, their their worst performance of the season last week, Christmas Eve stinker in Atlanta. Um, yep. There weren't a lot of positives in that game. The Colts were outgained uh, 406 to 262. The offense put up only six points. Uh, The defense gave up a a plethora of big plays like we chronicled on Monday night. Um, The running game just couldn't get going. And maybe the most troubling was, again, something that you've already alluded to, was just the lack of urgency the Colts had, knowing they could have been in first place in the division at the end of the week with Jacksonville losing again to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But it wasn't so. It wasn't meant to be. So what are your final thoughts on that letdown in Atlanta again on Christmas Eve, Rick?
1: Yeah, you know it's it, it's it's ironic, uh, but I've seen it happen. You know, you know we followed one of the best performances, and you know maybe in years uh, against the Steelers at home, just a great win with you know maybe the absolute I think the worst performance of the season uh, in Atlanta. It was it just was a beatdown. It was a beatdown schematically. They did a great job on us, both sides of the ball. You know, and then, you know, even more importantly, they just, you know, they just beat the heck out of us physically. Um, and I think you're right. I, I think when you when you have a bad defensive game like that and you have all those explosive plays and you have all those missed tackles, um, you know, in my experience over the years, when those two things happen, it means you just weren't well knit that day. You didn't hustle quite as much. You didn't cup the ball. And, you know, you let a lot of guys one-on-one in space, and then the missed tackles happened, And that's normally a good indication that you weren't quite on a razor's edge. You know what I'm saying? Just as you said, I think it's an indication that we, not to say we went in flat, but we weren't really quite there. I, I thought the turning point, because, you know, even though we say that, you know, with two minutes or four minutes to go in the first half, the game was 7-7. It's not like, you know, we get beat from the beginning to end. And I thought, you know, and you you hear me talk about the roundabout all the time, I thought the game was lost really in the roundabout, the two minutes before the half and the first drive after the half, which was kind of by us a non-resistant, really defensive effort. It's kind of surprising to be honest. I'm still amazed at it. But in reality, you know, the Falcons mustered 13 points in that very short time. I call it the middle eight. And, you know, the game went from seven and seven to seven. It went from 20 to seven. And it wasn't just that the score, but I think what it did was it gave a team that six and eight, you know, was up to play but not super confident. I think it gave them the real psychological lift that they needed. And then I thought the dagger – was Bates' interception. And I think at that point, you know, Gardner was just frustrated. His edges were closing down. Nobody was getting open. You know, it was really, you know, he couldn't run the ball. And he was just kind of on his own. And I thought it was kind of just a frustrating throw. You know, they had it all covered. Bates comes and makes it. And then when he makes that interception, you know, at 20-7, to now they've got a short field to play on the rest of the day. Uh, you know, they can ball control. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to do anything silly. Uh, kick field goals, eat clock, you know, and that that's exactly what they did, you know. And, you know, and then at that point also, you know, as you increase the lead, and we talk about this all the time, you know, we talked about it on the round table Monday night, your sacks, your pass rushes come. In the second half, when you get that lead, when the team is one-dimensional and it has to play one way, and then they just ate us up. I mean, I never would have dreamed that, that they would get six sacks. But, you know, it was surreal, but it came because they gained the total advantage, and they had the advantage all day. They had the advantage in the sticks, and then after that after that interception, then they had the advantage in the score and like I said, it was just a very difficult, you know, it was a very difficult uh, day. Um, I think in the end, the troubling thing, and I, you know, and and but it's we've been inconsistent with this, but I think my biggest concern is just that, um, you know, a lot of the same things just all came to roost. A lot of issues we've had just came to roost on uh, on Sunday. One you know, they stopped us with heavy fronts and bear two, they stuffed our receivers with tight press coverage, you know, and then three, they really collapsed our edges, which is kind of really struggling with that, particularly Ryman. And then they, they were effective blitzing inside on third down those three issues. We, you know, when we haven't had good days, those issues have been there. And then on defense, you know, uh, you know, basically they did the same kinds of things, you know, Um, you know they were able to get the ball to you know their three tailbacks Mm -hmm. which is really the elite part of their football team I mean it you know they you kind of knew that going in and we really did a poor job of containing them pass and run I mean those three guys ended up with two what was it 242 yards collectively totally you know and that was a killer and then You know, we did nothing to to stop Heineke. He, again, was right at 70%, shredded us two years in a row. You know, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, because this is a, you know, now we will probably be fine, hopefully, Mm -hmm. against O'Connell this week. But when we play a quarterback who has any experience, you know, we're playing 79%, which is number one in the league, zone defense, 79% zone defense and it's not even a matchup zone so basically there's no way to you're not you're playing reactive you're you're not really shutting anything down you're not shutting receivers down you're inviting screens uh which are killing us and you're not pressuring at all and so you know in that situation unless we have a big lead in the fourth quarter it takes away our two best assets which is you know, pass rush and sacks, which were still up at the top of the league. Yeah. And takeaways, which were at the top of the league. But, you know, by you know, by being so non proactive, you know, we're just we're just inviting and good quarterbacks just tear us apart. And that's been two years. So, you know, I, I think we'll be fine this week in that regard because of who we play. But, you know, that's a reoccurring theme and definitely if we get to the playoffs yeah. we're gonna be seeing good quarterbacks.
0: All right, well, let's look ahead to Week 17. Let's put that game in the rearview mirror and get ready for the final two games of the season because they're enormous, like we said. I mean, <laughs> the conventional thinking is the Colts need to win their final two games in order to make the playoffs, considering, again, one of those games is against the Houston Texans, who have the same record as the Colts going into Week 17 at 8-7. and seven. But up first, the Raiders who, as we uh, mentioned, are playing their best football of the season. Seven and eight record-wise, they've won two in a row over AFC West rivals for the first time since 2020, and the Raiders beat the Chiefs on the road on Christmas Day. They snapped a six-game losing streak to Kansas City, and that win keeps the Raiders afloat in both the AFC playoff race and the AFC West race, so the division's still in play for them as well. And the week before that, They absolutely destroyed the Chargers, 63-21. That was a Thursday night football game as they scored the most points in a game in franchise history. Las Vegas now got it by interim head coach Antonio Pierce, former NFL player in his own right. And now they have GM uh, Champ Kelly. That's because Raiders owner Mark Davis He made those uh, major organizational changes following a 3-5 and start to the season. They fired Josh McDaniels at head coach. They fired the GM and and David Ziegler. Those two have seemingly changed the organizational culture overnight, Rick, and this team's been playing um, some really good football lately, and they're playing meaningful football here in late December. So we'll talk about the offense and the defense in more detail coming up, but what else do you have on the Raiders going into this game on the big picture?
1: Well, you know, I agree with you totally. I I think Antonio Pierce, who I've known as a player, I uh, worked him I worked him out coming out. Uh I think he's done a magnificent job. I mean, if anybody deserves this head job right now, it's him. I mean, he has this team playing with high energy. He's got them playing with a love for the game that they had lost. And as you said, they're coming off two very signature physical wins you know, including the two defensive touchdowns a week ago. You know, their offense and defensive coordinators, I think, have done a really good job. Something that I just realized, I came across today, is that, you know, since Antonio has been the head coach, their defense is number one in the league in, in defensive scoring, given up. Now, they're nine to start with, but mm-hmm. they're number one since he's taken over. And I always like to look at, you know, and we talk about this all the time, how can they beat you? And they really have struggled on offense. I mean their offensive numbers are putrid, but you know, I I, you know, I think what you gotta look at is their defense is stingy, number nine, they're the least penalized team, which is non raider like, that's for sure. And they have a lot of ambient players when you start looking at it. And you know, basically on the offense, I think what has happened and it doesn't show in the statistics because it's just come to fruition lately. Is they have a rebirth of that running game? I mean, you know they lost jacobs with the with the quad and yeah. he's a terrific player, but white has come out of nowhere hundred and forty five and you watched it everybody watched it on monday i mean were they were hard hard- dargon you know runs by him, mm-hmm. then you're looking at an ambient x or split end receiver, and Adams, you know who has had a great career, almost eleven thousand yards in eighty two and then you got Renfro and Myers, when they're healthy, who are solid complements. Um, you know, a decent tight end. If Mayer is back, he missed last week. Uh, you know, and the offensive line is a problem. It's a problem with most teams. You're seeing a lot of flood quarterbacks this year in a lot of subpar offensive lines. You know, and O'Connell is what he is. You know, we know him around here. He's a drop-back kid who's smart and accurate. Uh, but he rattles, you know. He gets he gets mistake rookie mistakes in turnovers. He's eight and seven. You know, you mentioned it yesterday. We talked about it. He's zero for ten in the last three quarters. Mm-hmm. I mean, they won in spite of the quarterback Sunday, you know, and he struggles with dirty pockets. He really does. He ended up Sunday with or Monday with a a fifty passer rating. So, you know that that's that's just kind of the way they are. And defense. To me, I think they found a really good balance since Antonio's taken over where they have found a really good balance of giving you enough problems, but keeping it practical enough that they can just play with speed and intensity. And, you know, there's three issues you look at. Number one, number nine in scoring. And like I said, number one, since he's been the head coach, there's still 16 total. And then there are 15 in sacks. And I think that 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 isn't as good as statistics as they can be. Right. I really, I really like what I call their inside shell or the rim, which is kind of the inside perimeter minus the minus the corners and free safety. You know, I think when you start on their edges, you have Crosby, who's an ambient player, on that one edge, and then you got Coates, who's an emerging star, on the other side, uh, and then inside, you 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 know you you have different guys. Uh, in that in that thing, you got Diablo, who's the will. Um, you know, you have Hobbs, who's an outstanding nickel, who's almost in the box all the time. And then you have a guy that I think is just an emerging star. The more I watch him, the more I like him, and that's Spillane. I mean, he does everything for them when you get into mm-hmm. the stats. You know, they've got tough guys inside with Jenkins. You know, I, I think if they've got a problem, just like I think their problem is quarterback and offensive line, on offense, I think if they have a problem, it's really the quarterback. Um, I mean, it's their cornerbacks. Um, basically, with Robertson, and I know Jones had a big pick the other day, but I think that's the weakness of their team. That's that's where I think they're very much like Atlanta in that you go in there and you know they have a really good defense and a sub-power offense. But the difference is I they don't have the sticky corners like Atlanta, Matt. You know, Atlanta – Basically took our passing game away with their with their corners. They just took it away. It, as you said, they contested every pass, mm-hmm. and there was just no air in there. I don't think this team can do that. So, you know, but this is what they are. You know, I mean, Crosby, <laughs> Crosby, and you would know this. He he's come from a Morse Reservoir All Star yeah. <laughs> in our in our draft, and he was obviously a Mid American kid, yeah, Eastern Washington guy or Eastern Michigan wrecker. guy,
0: I should say. Yeah,
1: he is a game wrecker, and he. And this defense, which is Mm well-known, well-knit, they're just playing with great intensity and physicality, and and they can ruin your day. I I use the comparison, and it's probably not a good one because too many of our fans, it's before their time. But uh, I tell you, Crosby just so reminds me of Teddy Hendricks, who um, was called the Mad Stork in his day, who played with both the Raiders and the Colts. You know, big 6'7 guy that is just long and can do it all. But, you know, that's kind of the rundown on their team, basically.
0: All right, let's talk about each side of the ball now. Let's roll out some blueprints on these Raiders. And let's start first with the Vegas offense, which has now got it by former Purdue quarterback Aiden O'Connell. The rookie took over on a full-time basis. For Jimmy Garoppolo, starting in Week 9, and this Sunday is going to be his ninth start of his rookie campaign. He's 4-4 and so far record-wise, including a win last week against the Chiefs where he was really up and down. Started the game 9-for-11 in the passing game, uh, but then finished out 0-for-his-last-10 and didn't complete a single pass uh, after the first quarter. Um, And he was picked up by the running game, though, big time. The Raiders ran for a season-high 157 yards, spearheaded by running back Kazir White, who posted a career-high 145 on the ground, playing for the injured Josh Jacobs, who's missed the last two games. Um, The Raiders only score 19 points per game. They rank 31st in rushing, despite that good performance last uh, Monday. Um, They're not very explosive on offense. They only have 31 plays over 20 yards. Uh, They rank bottom five in third down offense, red zone offense, time of possession. Um, But they've still got playmakers, Rick. Maybe the best receiver in the game in in Devontae Adams. Um, They've got former Patriot Jacoby Myers. They've got Hunter Renfro in the slot. And again, a nice one-two punch at running back with White and Jacobs when he's healthy. So, what concerns you about this Raiders offense, despite some of their their poor numbers uh, coming into this game?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And you know, I th- I think we were kind of looking at the same profile a week ago in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And we got ripped. So, you know, I I think you you always got to look at how can they beat you, right? You know, and and when you look at it, you know, I look at their two coordinators. they' you know, I see Hargrave, Bo Hargraves. And and Scott Turner is their passing game coordinator. Now, Scott is the son of Norv Turner, who's one of the best offensive coaches in the league. And when you kind of look at their offense specifically, they're kind of a variation of actually they're still using some of the stuff that John Gruden ran in the two-back offense where they run the ball with the tailback and they can run leads and powers and, you know, kind of old-school play action um, and then they mix that with the old Norv Turner Dallas Cowboy offense, where they're really trying to get the ball to Adams all the time. Adams, if you if you think back in history, which I always do, he's kind of he's kind of what Michael Irvin was to the Cowboys back there, and that's kind of if you look at them philosophically, that's what they are. And they're loaded with skilled players. You're exactly right. I mean, I you know I don't know if Jacobs will be ready. You know he's had the quad. You know, but he's got a million yards in this league, passing and receiving. Uh, but White has stepped up in his in his in his absence. And then, if you add Abdullah in there, who's a space player, I mean, you got backs that can run it. You're, you're exactly right. That stat is misleading because that running game is on the high side coming in. It's it's you know it's it's going it's growing. It's arrow pointing up. And I think you got to be alert for that. And then you have blue-chip receiver in Adams. There's no question about it. He's got a million yards. He's a premier guy, one of the premier guys in the league, and then real compliments in Jacoby Myers at Z and then Renfro at slot. And if they they get Mayer back this week, then they've got a pretty solid tight end. You know, again, uh, I think their offensive line is really, really suspect. It's been fluid. Uh, They haven't protected it in a one-dimensional game. You know, and then it comes down to the quarterback play, and we kind of talked about him. You know, he does some things well. He's smart. He's accurate. You know, he's a high-volume player, Uh, but he'll make rookie mistakes, and he doesn't really get out of trouble. He's not athletic that way. And what I see is blitzing and dirty pockets really knock his accuracy down, no question about that. So when I look at, you know, the Colts' blueprint, uh, basically the Colts' Defensive blueprint for stopping them. The first thing is, I think, regardless of stats, you've got to consider that you must stop White, who had the 145 yards last week, and Jacobs, who has a, you know, 805 and and 296 receiving and seven TVs. I mean, you got you're really looking because White is just impressive. You're looking at two guys that are really good that can slash catch. And hit home runs. I mean, they're they're not a real complicated team, but they'll give you a package of one back and the two back. Like I mentioned before, the one back is basically zone or toss, and they run a toss that's really an off tackle. They want you to pursue, but it's really a toss off tackle. And then they'll supplement it with those old school I formation plays, like I talked about with Gruden that leads, the bellies, bounces, kings and then and then Abdullah, they'll slip him in there sometimes on third down, and he'll give you a little quickness. And I think what is most striking, and I always try to see them at their best, is that four-minute drive, you know, which was actually a two-minute drive, to ice that game at the end was about as impressive as I've te- seen a team run the ball this year against the defense that was loaded. I mean, that was just totally impressive. They blocked it. Uh, Jacoby Myers went in there like a tight end and blocked the edge. And, of course, white straight arm people. Then, number two, you have to have a plan for Adams. Again, he is, to their offense, what Michael Irvin was to the old Cowboys. You know, he's got 85 catches just this year, five TDs. He is primarily the split end or the X. And what they like to do is give you a power formation. We've seen it all year strong formation away from him and then work isolation on our undressed corners which they're undressed most of the game now if he moves inside it's usually because it's a third and five third and six and then on the inside he'll run some possession routes but he's a premier player uh you know he's never Devontae's never been a blazer he was four five one coming out but he has great great skill you can't He's another guy. Say it. You can't let him beat you. And I will say this for O'Connell. If he sees any one-on-one matchup, uh, he will go to him at any time. So what you don't want to do with this rookie is undress the coverage on a pre-snap and give him advantage uh, because he can throw the football if he's not pressured. I think number three, just got to defend Myers and Renfro in situations. You know, and Myers is very, very solid. Again, not fast, but he's an outstanding two. He lacks speed. He's a four, six, seven, but he plays faster than that. He's an outstanding possession guy. And then Renfro, we know, is kind of like the old Edelmans, uh, uh, you know, all those kind of those, uh, the, you know, basically the, like the old New England slots, you know, quicker than fast, but quickness and fearless inside. And he's been a cold killer. He was a cold killer there in Lucas Oil a couple years ago at the end of the game. And he's kind of a go-to third-down guy with different routes. I say this about their receiver core. You know, first of all, their receiver core are veterans and they're classy. Now, they're not fast. This is a team that you should press and smother. If you play soft zone, if we continue that 79%, okay, they're going to eat us alive. We're going to play right into their strengths. And I think this is a team you smother at the line because they can't run. Now, also, just in the back of your mind, know that Myers can throw the double pass, and he has. He's got an arm. All right, I think if My, if Mayer plays, there are certain things you have to be alert for, number four. Uh, he did miss Monday. Uh, I guess it's a toe, But he's a good all-purpose kid out of Notre Dame. You know, he's got quickness off the brakes. He's not another guy that's not a fast guy. You talk about explosive plays. They don't have a lot of team speed on offense. They really don't. Most of their speed really is at running back, and they're a little bit like Atlanta. They don't really have speed. That's why it's sickening to me to sit there and play zone when you have guys that can't run. You just allow them to work into the holes. Uh, he's good all-purpose, and what you see with him, like Renfro, he's a lot he's very effective in that third and five where he can run that quick option really good off the break he's quicker off the break than he is fast and then he's kind of becoming in a red zone threat so you know and then the other guy just keep in mind is number 11 is Tucker he is the one guy that is fast they will slip him in there and take shots and um you know and he and, and basically he, he will take the shots and he will run the gadgets and then number five is we, got, we just got to get the advantage. We have to get on top of this team and just dominate their offensive line. Uh, if you get in advantage situations and you get ahead in the fourth quarter, we've got to rush and pressure this rookie quarterback. Force him. You can't expect him to do it. You have to force him into bad decisions and mm-hmm. turnovers. They're 24th in the league in giveaways, 23 in pass, 29th in QBR. Blitzes and stunts ruin them. They have a hell of a time with them. If you force a one-dimensional drop-back scenario, the QB and the O-line will shrink like the wicked west of the West. The kid at the end of the day last week was 0 for 10 yeah. from the beginning of the second quarter to the end of the game, and he, was, he had a 50 uh, passer rating. So, You know, those are the things, inevitably, that we have to do. It'll start with stopping the running game and stopping Adams.
0: All right, that's Rick Venturi. This is Inside Football. We're talking Colts and Raiders, Week 17 on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Let's switch over to the other side of the ball now. Let's talk about the Raiders' defense. Uh, Las Vegas did a great job. Uh, you got to underline that, bold it, italicize mm-hmm. whatever you want to say. Uh, they yep. did a magnificent job on the Chiefs on Christmas Day, holding them to just 5 out of 16 on third down. They sacked Patrick Mahomes four times. They racked up 10 quarterback hits. Um, they held the Chiefs to only 4.2 yards per play. And it was no doubt the best performance to date under defensive coordinator Patrick Graham. Um, And the Raiders have also been incredibly opportunistic in each of their last two games against the Chargers and the Chiefs. They've had two defensive touchdowns. And both games that marked the first time in franchise history, the Raiders have scored multiple non-offensive touchdowns in consecutive games. And they're also just the second team in the NFL since at least 2000 to record multiple defensive touchdowns in consecutive games. The only other team to do that uh, was the Bears back in 2012. So that means Vegas now has five defensive scores on the season. That's the most in the NFL and the most by the Raiders in a single season since at least 2000. And you talked about their their point total allowed. They're giving up under 20 a game, which is a really good number despite being kind of middle of the road Uh, statistically in in most of the major categories. But up up front, you really got to look out for Max Crosby and then up-and-comer Malcolm Kuntz. Those guys account for 51% of the team's sack total. Crosby has 13.5, which is uh, tied for fifth in the NFL so far this year. And they've got also some very underrated linebackers. And Robert Spillane, who came in uh, from the Steelers or came over from the Steelers in free agency. They've got Devon Diablo at the other linebacker spot. So that's kind of the skinny on their defense. Yep. Rick, what else did I miss on the Raiders uh, before you get into your must there?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I think you got to put take your hat off to, uh, to Graham, their defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, I don't think he'll ever be confused with Buddy Ryan or Bud Carson in the creativity bowl but i think he's done a great job of finding a happy medium for this team where there's enough scheme there's enough variation and pressure and coverage but yet he's kept it simple enough where they really really play hard and again i always say they're well knit and that's a compliment they don't they're not out of position very much ever and then they play with that great great intensity and physicality and energy And that inside shell, that inside rim, I talk about it all the time, and I mentioned it before, is really good. Crosby, Coontz, Hobbs, the nickel, Spillane, and Diablo, kind of that inside shell. I mean, you're talking about really good players there. And, you know, we know about Crosby. Uh, Crosby is um, coronated, I think, by all, but Spillane is the guy that has just knocked me out and... I also I also really, really like uh, Hobbs around the box. They play a lot of what I call buzz coverage. In other words, when they're in the nickel, a lot of the times Hodge will be on the edge and then one of the safeties will come down in the box and they'll mix it up in there. They are, they really will. Epson mooring, they'll they'll make it tough on you in there to run it. Um, and then they, they're basically an over team with big Jenkins inside as kind of a space eater, And then they'll create both a big bear and a a, a nickel bear. And what they do is they bring Robinson in, 97, when they want to create kind of a five-man line. And he's kind of the guy who's really kind of a Sam backer. So he can blitz and create five, or he can drop and create like a Sam. And then if they're in sub, if they're in nickel, which they are most of the time, then it's Diablo who's very versatile, who ends up walking up on the edge to create the five man front with the bear, so you know and everybody they play it all day on us, so you know i obviously we have to uh be ready for it first down is is heavy front or or numbers up there or bear uh single high man to man fire zone. I mean, they want to take you away. They they want to take away that running game. They're going to copy everybody, and they do it anyway. They don't they don't want to let you run that ball on first down. Uh, you know, it's always an eight man front of some kind, and then if you get into a little bit longer yardage, then they'll play a lot of quarters uh, or eight, which is quarter quarter half. Um, then when you get into third down. They'll mix in their man-to-man, a one-thief type of play where they got a rat in the middle. If it's shorter yardage, they'll bring that three buzz in there and match it really tight. And then the coverages that they use, and they do them very effectively, they'll mix some Tampa two, and then they play that six-high buzz really, really, and they play it very well. It looks like quarters, and the free safety actually has the deep hook but he doesn't come down until late and so you know if you're looking at it from a quarterback standpoint a lot of times you have th- you think you have that hole in that weak side and all of a sudden that safety's down in your lap and that that is becoming the big I watched Houston today they everybody's doing that uh on third and long I really respect their NASCAR package their third down package and basically now they've got some rushers there uh basically um you know with uh, you know with crosby on their left the majority of the time. Occasionally he'll be on the right, but he's almost always on the left. Uh you got him on on that edge and Koontz is really coming. He had three sacks uh Monday and then inside what they've done is they've taken their number one draft pick in Wilson, who wears number nine, who really was an edge player, but what they've done with the edge guys they've got, they've made him an inside tackle, and he's coming because he brings a lot of speed in there, you know, and then the other kid that that plays really good with them is butler number sixty nine and I just think that they in they're fifteen anyway, but I think that they can if they get advantage, they can create even more issues, and they do a lot of different things on third down, they'll mug it up, they'll get into a delta dime. And But in the end, in the end, they win on defense because of really three guys, Crosby, Coontz, and Spillane, and then a bunch of guys who just play their butt off, okay? Now, the way to beat them, the blueprint basically for the offense, and this is going to be the challenge, okay? Uh, we got to play with balance early. I talk about that all the time. If we come out and run it every down, they are going to stop it. They're going to have enough guys up in there. Like you say, their run, they're, and I always look at run per more than anything because, to me, that tells me what a defense really is. And there's, they're still number 21. They're 4.3, so they're not great. Uh, they can be had. Uh, I think you can hit that over front directly. I don't think they're fast inside on first down. I think you can bang the bubble. But when it's all said and done, you can split the 1-3 and over. But you have to anticipate Bear because it's killing us. And we have got to take that ball off tackle and outside. We can't be stubborn and do what we did against Atlanta because, in that case, they'll just stop you with the scheme. You know, and and again, our best games have come by loosening up with the pass. Now, I think we can do that better against this team because I don't think their corners, I'll get into that, are nearly as good as Atlanta. Atlanta prevented you from doing that because they could stuff you on the outside just playing man-to-man. I don't think the Raiders can. Now, I'm going to mention him again. One of the best all-purpose players in the league is Spillane now on that inside, number 41. 130 tackles, three and a half sacks, three picks, and four PBUs. When you're running that football or you're throwing that football, you've got to know where he is. Because that guy is active, and he's a playmaker. Number two, and you could make this number one as well, <clears throat> we have to protect the edges. I mean, Crosby, without question, is an ambient player on their left, okay? And he's got an ideal matchup for him, all right? he You know, he will move around, but not much. He has 13 and a half sacks. He is a rare combination of speed. He has the length. And he can play with power now more than he could coming in. Again, he reminds me he's a modern day Teddy Hendricks. For those who don't know, pull him up sometime on your Google machine and and figure it out. Kuntz on the other side is emerging. Okay, first of all, let me go to uh, let me go back to Crosby. Crosby's another guy. He's kind of like Adams is on offense. Scheme him or die. If, if you think that that young kid can handle him one on one. No, he's, he's going to be in, he's going to be in, uh, he's going to be in Gardner's lap every down. You have to scheme him, and then uh, Koontz is really coming now Koontz is different. Koontz, he runs Koontz reminds me a lot of Ebu Khan. He can run the edge, he has some power, but he really runs the edge and runs the hoop, as I call it, thinking of a hula hoop where you come up and back down. Great effort guy he'll get second wave sacks all right, number three, we have to get after Robinson and Jones at the corner um and again, they're gonna be naked on first down, and you gotta be willing to go, and you gotta take shots to pierce, okay, and I think you can do it on these two guys i I don't think they're nearly as sticky as those atlanta kids, and then on on also we have to work downs and our tight ends. Uh, and on possession stuff, on inside receivers. I think we got to get explosives on the passing game. I don't think they rush well on first down because they're not, they're, they don't know if it's run or pass. And, again, their corners are weak. Uh, I also think when you get to second down, now you have to run your four and eight beaters because they'll go from the eight-man front into quarters. So the, a lot of things I've talked about, Dino's double post, uh, scissors where you run the post and the corner, the wolf where you're running out and a corner behind it, and then the layers 973. All those things you want to be able to run on second and third down. When now they don't play as much man, but more quarters. I think you want to work play pass underneath because Diablo, Diablo and Hobbs and Spillane, they are gonna fly to that run. They're gonna want to take you away. And I think there's going to be a lot of holes in there, you know, particularly on first down, even more than second down. And I think we've got to get routes in those tight, you know, we got to get them routes in there to downs, I think, to Granson or Mallory, who I like. And then the other area I think they're weak on that second and long are the flats. I think, you know, you got to come down and run the snap outs. Don't just run it out and wheels to both sides where the two receivers run flat and go. We just we need to get big plays in, you know, we need to get plays to JT, gotta use him in screens in the flats, and then we gotta get it to, you know, catch and run plays and go. And then I think what's really important when we do get behind an account, because inevitably you'll always be behind an account at some point, we gotta be really efficient in protection. You know, and we and we have to be able to make tight window throws. Like I say, they're not exotic, but they are varied in coverage, and they have five real rush threats. When you go back to Crosby, thirteen and a half; Coot seven; Wilson inside now, two and a half; uh, Butler, two; and Spillane, three and a half. Yeah, that's why I say five because I consider Spillane a really good rusher. As I said, their overall numbers and are pedestrian, but that third down unit is more than formidable.
0: That's Rick Venturi. Those are the blueprints for the Colts against the Las Vegas Raiders on offense and defense. Week 17, Lucas Oil Stadium. And in the end, Rick, I mean, thank goodness, parity in the NFL is king because the Colts missed out on a major opportunity by losing to the Falcons last Sunday with both the Jaguars and the Texans losing as well. So, the margin of error now, it's it's razor thin. Seems like we've been saying that now for the last month, but the Colts now officially playing for their playoff lives, and the Raiders are right in the mix as well after their last two wins. If they win out and the Chiefs lose out, they'll win the division for the first time since 2002, and as the Colts found out in 2021, anything is possible in this league. So, As Gardner Minshew said last week after the game, forget the scoreboard watching, forget about the playoff odds, forget about all the tiebreakers. It's time to be uh, singularly focused on the task at hand, and quite frankly, the Colts need a lot more urgency about them than they showed last week down in Atlanta.
1: Absolutely. Well said. I mean, in the end, to me, it's thank God the NFL is a series of one-week seasons because really and truly last week doesn't matter. Win or lose, it really doesn't matter you know, it's the Raiders this Sunday, and that's it. And I like that idea. No scoreboard watching because that's a distraction. Singular focus. No distractions on the silver and black. They're going to come in on a high with two consecutive wins, and you must supersede, not, not just equalize. At, at home in Lucas, we have to supersede their aggressiveness and physicality. That's what hits me when I watch them on tape and send them back to Vegas defeated. Put your damn big boy pants on, guys. Put them on and get ready for a street fight. No bullcrap rhetoric. I don't want to hear a lot of rhetoric. Get tough and physically dominating play after play for 60 minutes. There is no turning back now. You win, you live, you lose, you die. Let's don't sugarcoat it. The Cincinnati and Atlanta effort cannot be tolerated. You have a great opportunity in many ways on Sunday, but the biggest ones are, one, prove you can climb the mountain, and two, prove those performances were, as Coach Steichen said, that was not us. Yes, this is the must-win.
0: There you go. Must-win indeed. Couldn't agree more right there. And it's a home game, the final two games at Lucas Oil uh, Stadium this season, where the crowds have been awesome all year long. And, Rick, I know you're excited about that, the road slate being over and the last two being decided in front of the home crowd where everything is there for the taking these last two weeks, man. It's going to be fun, and uh, we're going to find out a lot about this Colts team here in the next 14 days or so.
1: Yeah, um, and you know what? I felt like, you know, and we've have, we've had out our struggles, but I felt like that, uh, you know, for the first time, at against Pittsburgh, I just felt like all of a sudden Lucas Oil was ours. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's just keep that going. Let's just keep that going here for eight days. Yep,
0: fantastic job, as always, Rick, breaking down this matchup on uh, the different segments for us, offense and defense and blueprints there. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you on New Year's Eve, my friend. We'll do it one final time here in the calendar year of 2023. Rick, looking forward to it.
1: We will do it, and hopefully we have many more (laughs) out in January. There you go.
0: (laughs) Cheers into some champagne around 4 o'clock on Sunday (laughs) with some New Year's resolutions talking about a Colts win on the final day of 2023. That's Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. And that'll do it for this week's installment of Inside Football, breaking down the Raiders. As always, for more on this game, you can keep it locked here right here on the Colts Audio Network. Anywhere you download your podcast, Colts.com, the Colts mobile app. Happy New Year, everybody. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Matt Taylor. Again, for Rick Venturi, we will do it again next week right here on Inside Football. So long.